Well, good morning and welcome to week four of our Romans series. And just so you can be ready, whether you're here or watching online, we're gonna be in Romans chapter five and that's the only place we're gonna be today. So if we wanna get your copy of God's word and get that ready or your digital copy of whatever copy you have, you can uh, go to Romans chapter five. We are going to read every single verse uh, in Romans, why? Because every single verse is really, really important uh, in uh, today's message. And um, if you don't have your copy of God's Word, we're going to have the uh, the scripture on the screen for you uh, today. And and really, the reason why we're in Ro- Romans is because it's all about forming our faith. Because in these days and times, with everybody on social media and things heightened with the election and all of these things that's happening, uh, you're gonna have people that are gonna be criticizing your faith, questioning your faith, and so because of that, you've gotta own your faith. If you don't own your faith, you're not gonna defend your faith, and if you're not gonna know how to defend your faith, then you're gonna be ashamed of your faith, and there's more opportunities for you to be ashamed of your faith, to be able to just so, sort of put it under the rug and act like it doesn't even exist. Uh, we learned in, uh, in week one, uh, Paul talked about that this, um, uh, this culture uh, has, has basically pushed God out. And, and that's a natural response for humans, is, uh, is to push God out and say, all right, even though creation shows us there's evidence of a God, of a great creator. They say there's no way someone could have created this, so there's no reason for God to exist. And so my problems, uh, I can take care of myself. I don't need God. And so because of that, God has uh, turned them over into whatever wicked way that they want to turn into. And for so long, the church has pointed the finger and pointed a finger and been very judgmental about what the world has um, has done with the gospel message. And um, and in week two, we talked about how we as believers uh, through time, and even today, uh, we see it where we set up our, ourselves as a supreme judge in God's court when in all reality, God doesn't need more judges. He, he, he's got that all under control. And so, um, so, but we like to judge, don't we? We like to point those fingers. And so either we set ourselves up as supreme judges or we use our Christian privilege as a way to show our own righteousness. I go to church, you know, I was growing up in a, uh, raised in a, uh, in a Christian home or whatever your story may be, whatever your excuse may be to, for your own self-righteousness. And, uh, or we uh, use our, uh, our hypocrisy we say one thing but live a different life, or, or what I call Christian atheists, where we uh, believe in God but live like he doesn't exist. There are many ways that, uh, that Paul is saying, look, uh, you're no better than the people I talked about in chapter one. So we shouldn't be, be judgmental. And last week we talked about in the middle uh, of uh, chapter three, he goes on into talks about from a problem to the provision. So up until the middle about chapter three, Paul talks about the problem, the problem of sin, the problem of, of, um, of unrighteousness, and that we have uh, tried for years uh, to live life with our own righteousness, and, and it just doesn't work. And so he goes with the provision. And so the provision, of course, is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And of course, it, 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 it's not about works. It's not about us coming before him and making ourselves uh, clean on the outside, to look at ourselves and say, all right, I can't go to Jesus right now because I, I, I'm awful, okay? We're all awful, okay? Let me get that straight. 
Even you watching online, you're awful. Welcome to Lake Point Church. But you are, you and I, we are awful. And because if we try to do things for our own righteousness and our own, by doing good works. And so what Paul is saying, it's not about you fixing things on the outside. It's about you accepting Jesus by faith and the Holy Spirit coming inside of you and then that Holy Spirit working its way from inside out and then naturally fixing the things on the outside, okay? And so when, when Paul talks about the provision, he's saying, look, the provision involves your, your um, acknowledgement of your sin and accepting Christ as Savior. We are de- being declared righteous by God because of our faith, period. Because of our faith, not because of what we do. It doesn't start with our, with our works. Now, obviously, our life should, be, should live a life that's lined up with the word of God, yes. But we don't start there. We start here, relationship, heart, everything, talking, communicating, reading, learning, growing, and we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, to then make a change in our life. So chapter five begins a new section in Paul's letter. Remember, this is a letter to Christians in Rome. He has finished his argument in chapters one through four, the argument that nobody can be made right with God by following the works of the law of Moses. Nobody can be made right, okay? For example, if you've told a lie this week, or if you've broken any of the Ten Commandments this week, you can't follow the law. I can't follow the law on our own strength. And so God, and we'll get into this later, but God spent many, many, many years proving that, okay? Actually, man proved it, but, but God showed us because of our own actions. And so um, Paul now turns a corner in this letter in chapter five to describe what we have Gained. So what gain is there to accepting Jesus Christ? It's, it's more, it's bigger than, than just not being punished. Many people, many people um, either share a salvation message by saying, you, you should accept Jesus Christ so that you will not go to hell. That's true, but, the, but it's bigger than that. It's more about having the benefits of the Holy Spirit and God living inside of you and you walking towards victory in your life. And because of that, we can rely upon the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so Paul shares some of the benefits. So we see this in Romans uh, chapter five, verses one through five. So what are the benefits of being a Christian? What are the benefits of, of being a believer? And Paul goes through this. One through five. Therefore, 
since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, before we jump into some of the benefits, I do want to remind you of something that Paul is writing to Christians. This is his audience. He's writing to Christians, to believers. He is describing what is true for those who have accepted Christ and trusted him for salvation. Paul is not saying all people everywhere have these benefits. It's the people who are true believers. So that's really important. So what are the benefits? Number one, we have the peace of God. We will have the peace of God. We see that in verse one. Peace of God. Now, it doesn't mean, Paul is not saying that we're always gonna feel peaceful. And it doesn't mean that we're, gonna, we're not gonna ever walk in, in anxiety and, and, and in worry. Now, obviously, the more we trust in God, the less worry and the less anxiety we will have. But what Paul is saying with peace with God is that we are made right with God. We are made right with God. There's, there's no more conflict between our actions and the holiness of God. We are made right in the sight of God. We are peace with him now and forever throughout eternity. So peace with God is huge. There's a lot of people in this world who, are, who don't have peace. They look for peace in, in, in many different ways. But really, in all reality, the, the, the biggest underlying problem is that they don't have peace with God. They don't have peace with God. A believer has peace with God. Number two, the second benefit, the grace of God. We see this in verse two. Grace basically means a good thing not deserved. A good thing not deserved. That basically describes my wife, okay? I, I don't deserve my wife, but she's a good thing. And I, by the grace of God, I've received the love of my wife. Now, I know that's kind of more uh, you know, earthly terms, but it helps us to relate with that. You and I, if we accepted Jesus Christ, we have the grace of God. What each of us deserve because of our sin is actually the judgment of God. But what we've been given is God's grace. So we have the peace of God. We have the grace of God. The next one in verse three, we have the endurance or the perseverance of God, the endurance. Uh, being in Christ does not end our personal, temporary suffering on this world. So in endurance or perseverance, the, the definition is the ability to keep going when we feel like stopping. The, 
The ability to keep going when we feel like stopping. You know one of the things that, that will, will stop you in your tracks sometimes is suffering. When things just keep going wrong. Things keep going bad in your life. You just like keep, you feel like Rocky, okay? Just being knocked and, and hit around. And so when, when, when suffering comes in this life, and we've, we've had people in our church even recently, even people on our staff team, they've gone through so much just suffering in their life. But it doesn't mean that we're not gonna have suffering just because we follow Jesus. It means that we're going to have the endurance or the perseverance, just like a runner, just like a, a long distance runner. I don't, run, I don't like running long distances, okay? I like to just go from point A to point B really, really fast and be done with it, okay? I'm more of a, you know, from home plate to first base runner, okay? That's it. But for, for my faith, it's important that I am a long distance runner in my faith. So suffering is an opportunity to trust God at a deeper level. So when, when things happen, when things happen in our life that bring suffering and chaos and pain, we have the opportunity to trust in God. And through that trust in God, we're able to build our endurance for the long haul. So we have endurance. There are people in the world that don't have Jesus, don't have the Holy Spirit in their life, and so when suffering comes, they don't have the, they don't have the endurance to, to, for the long haul to, to go where they need to go, to, to finish whatever they're supposed to finish. I mean, there, there's people that they give up on their, on their marriage. They give up on their marriages, they give up on their health, they give up on, on, on trying to make things right with certain relationships. They give up on things in their life. Why? Because they don't have the endurance. Why don't they have the endurance? Because they haven't put their trust in Jesus. Runners run better when they're running with others. Runners run better and longer when they're running with others. Jesus, he wore sandals, but when it comes time, to running the long haul of suffering, he puts on his Nike cross-country shoes and runs with you. He's there running with you. And as we, as believers, walk through our suffering, we build endurance so we have peace of God, the grace of God, the endurance of God, and then the character of God. Paul, Paul just takes these first five verses and just makes a list, and one leads to the other. It's very similar to what James does, the brother of Jesus, in, in, in his book. And so, the character of God. Character basically means doing the right thing on a consistent basis. When you and I do the right thing time and time and time again, we build the right character. And so, that is basically character. And so, the pattern is this. Suffering causes us to trust in God on a deeper level. And the more we trust in God, the more likely we are to consistently make right choices through perseverance, endurance. We become Christians of proven character. Long-term 
suffering, endurance, and we become believers of character. So suffering is something that you and I can rejoice in. James talks about it. Paul talks about it. It's something we can rejoice in and say, all right, let's, let's do this. All right, let's do this. Not that you're going to say, I'm going to man up to this. I've got the ability to do this. But you're going to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit and say, all right, Holy Spirit, I need you to rise up. I need you to rise up. Got a bad health diagnosis, uh, lost your job, uh, whatever the situation is. I'm going to get through this, not on my own, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Believers can have that. We have that benefit. And then the last benefit, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to feel the power of God and the love of God. God. That's what the Holy Spirit is there for. And so the reason, I, I, I mean, I've heard many people throughout my life say, I just, I just don't feel God. I just don't feel the love of God. The reason why you don't feel the love of God is because you haven't invited Jesus to be into your life, to be Lord of your life, and then the Holy Spirit will come, and the Holy Spirit is a direct connection between us and the love of God, between God himself. And so that is how God shows his love. That's how God shows his power in our life. We have the Holy Spirit. So it's not just about accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. It's not just about escaping hell. It's so much bigger than that. It's being able to have a full life and have the ability to get through this life because this life is very, very difficult. We will have troubles but there is one who overcomes the troubles in this world. So we, we see the benefits of God. And then Paul goes on into starting with verse 6. And it's 6 through 11. He talks about the evidence of his love. We talked about the evidence of his love. It's important to, to sort of have the, have the evidence that, that God really loves us. Okay, so let's read verses 6 through 11. Verse 6 through 11, it says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified, that means just as if we've never sinned, now since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have we been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, there's a couple of big words in there we're gonna go over and see how that impacts and applies to our life. So how do we know that God loves us? How do we know that Jesus loves us? Number one, he died for us. <laughs> he died for us, okay? I, I, I love each and every one of you, I really do. I'm not so sure I can stand here to say that I would die for you. Now, there's some people in the room that I would definitely die for because they're, they're, they're my uh, immediate family, right? 
And, uh, and there's some you know, uh, people in the, uh, that are not in this room that are other members of my family I, I, would, I would die for. But in the heat of the moment, I'm not sure if I could do that. Why? Because I'm just, I'm just a, a man, I'm just a person. But Jesus proved his love for us by dying on the cross for us. So number one, that's how he proved. Number two is Jesus made the first move. Jesus made the first move. Okay, it's, it's kind of like when, when, when a, a boy and a girl or a young man and, and a young lady are mutually attracted to one another, before they start dating, somebody has to make the first move, meaning someone needs to ask somebody out. You ever had friends that it's like, okay, do I need to do this for you? <laughs> do, I need to, do I need to write a note? Do I need to set y'all up? Do I need to make this happen? Because none of y'all are, are making the, the first move. None of you are asking the other person out. And so there has to be someone who steps over that line and makes the first move. Jesus Christ, while we were sinning, while you were sinning, while I was sinning, Jesus made the first move. He didn't wait until you got your junk together. He, he, he made the first move knowing, knowing that you're messed up, knowing that that I was messed up, that I was gonna be messed up. Now you say, well, Frank, he died like 2,000 years ago. Look, that one moment in history covers all the span of humanity. And if he were here today, he would do it here today. That, that sacrifice is for you, even though you and I weren't born yet. And so while we were sinners in the middle of our junk, Jesus made the first move. It's like when Suzanne accepted my first move of me asking her out on a, on a date. At least I, I'm pretty sure I, I made the first move, yes. Um, but she knew down the road, and when I eventually asked her to marry me, she knew all the junk I had. But you know what? She accepted that. She did. And so Jesus even did something greater than that. He made the first move even in the midst of our junk. So number one, Christ died for us. Number two, he made the first move. Number three, he saved us from his wrath. To put it another way, we have been declared not guilty and we will not be condemned. We've been declared not guilty. And it talks about it that in that last verse here that we read, reconciliation. Reconciliation describes what happens between two people formerly separated by a, a dispute, okay? So reconciliation describes what happens between two people that are separated by dispute when that dispute is resolved and they are able to come back together. That is the meaning of a reconciliation. You may have been a part of a, of a reconciled relationship Maybe someone in your life, maybe, maybe a marriage, or maybe a friend or a family member. There's been some divisiveness, okay? During, during football season, SEC football play, 
There's divisiveness, okay? Maybe you root for this team, you root for this team, you know, whatever. I even see, you know, you kind of see this, you know, house divided, you know, one, you know, one cheers for this team, one cheers for the other team, and they're, they can't, you know, agree on who they're going to root for, so they're divided. And it's kind of fun and everything until it gets real serious. But there's reconciliation that eventually must happen for that relationship to continue down the road. Basically, Jesus is the one that brought reconciliation between us and God. This right here is a gospel message. You know what the gospel message? Here it is right here. God is the one who had the dispute with us. Okay? So track me here. God is the one who had the dispute with us because of our sin. Christ's death and resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection satisfied God's demands to make things right between us and through our faith alone, the dispute was ended. So God, God had to dispute with us. You've sinned. God had an issue. And so because of that, there was separation. In order to make that separation right, to, that, that, to be reconciled unto God, that sin had to, had to go away. Well, the only reason that sin to go away is, is to die in eternal death with that person. Well, instead of us dying, God sent Jesus to die for us, take the blame for us, take all of our sin. He laid his life down. He was crucified. All sins of humanity was laid upon him, and then he rose from the dead. And that act satisfied God's wrath of our sin. And it satisfied it so much that the dispute ended. We are now reconciled to God by Jesus, but also because of our faith. So if you and I, we don't, watching online, if you and I don't come to a point of decision to accept Christ as Savior and to believe what he did for us to reconcile us with God, if we don't believe in that, then our lives are not reconciled to God. There's, there's two things in order for that to happen. The first thing, Jesus had to die for our sins. Check, done. He did it, he made the first move. We make the second move. We make the second move to accept that and to invite Jesus to be Lord and Savior of our life and to believe on Jesus and what he did for us. And because of that, we are made right with God. That is the gospel right there. That's the gospel. And that's what Paul, Paul is saying. So then, after uh, verse 11, Paul, Paul goes into a, a sort of a new section where he compares the work of Adam as the representative of sinful humanity. With, he also he compares it with the work of Christ on behalf of sinful humanity. So Adam, Adam is the representative of us, sinful people. Jesus, 
His actions, his, what he did for us, is on behalf of sinful humanity. There's a difference. One brings condemnation, the other brings justification. So let's read verses 12 through 14. Just a couple of verses here. 12 through 14, therefore, Paul likes that word. (laughs) Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So let me unpack that a little bit. So now this section, verses 12 through 14, is all about (coughs) the condemnation (coughs) that comes from the, um, the action of Adam. So, <clears throat> many people have asked, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> many people have asked, well, be- between Adam and Moses, how, how did people sin? Because, because there, was no, there was no Ten Commandments. How do people know what was, what was right and what was wrong? I mean, there was a lot of time between Adam and Moses. God spoke to Moses, gave the Ten Commandments, and that, and gave the law, and that's kind of what started everything. So what, what Paul, Paul did not indicate that in, this, in these verses here that there's no actual sin, but, but that only one cannot literally break a law unless they are rightly subject to that law. Um, so what Paul is saying is that specific sin was not counted against specific people before the law. It was not a transgression in the sense of breaking the written law or breaking the written code. It was simply sinful humanity expressing its natural nature of sin, like self-serving being hurtful, being deceptive, being immoral. So from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, God did not give many direct commands to humanity at large. And in that way, those people were not lawbreakers, but still sin existed. So before Moses, there was no law to break. But did sin, was sin in the world? Well, yes, there was sin in the world. Why? Because of Adam. And that being passed on down from him all the way until now. But before Moses, there wasn't a law to break. It's like if you're driving down a road and a cop pulls you over and you're going over the speed limit and you say, well, officer, sir, um, there's no, there's no speed, speed sign. How can, I break, how can I be breaking the law? Well, but, sir, you were going 90 miles an hour. 
I know, but it doesn't say a speed limit, so I can go wherever I want. No. You were going 90 miles an hour. Okay, you're doing something wrong. So using that as an example, you and I can, you and I can understand that before Moses, even though there wasn't a law, people still had sinful lives. So then we contrast that with Adam's condemnation, okay, because of his actions, it brought life, it brought in, in, into our life sin, and then when the, when the law came, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, one, once that was, that was uh, in this world, it was a law that you and I can break. So, oh great, now we got these rules, and I can't even follow them. I can't, I can't follow all of them with my own abilities. Why? Because I'm a sinner. And we're gonna see a little bit later, that was God's point all along. So Romans 5, uh, 5 15 through 19, we're gonna see that compared, uh, that Jesus compared to the life of Adam. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died for the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, that's Adam, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification, that's Jesus. For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. That last verse, basically summing it up, the disobedience of of Adam, the one man, made us all sinners. But through the obedience of Jesus Christ to live a sinless life, to come down to this world, to lay down his life, to, be, um, to have all the sins laid upon us, to die and to be rose, rose again. So because of that obedience of that one man, just like Adam, one man, Jesus, one man, we can be made righteous by believing in faith in what Jesus Christ has done. That is the justification, just as if we had never sinned. Then it goes into the last couple of verses, the power of the grace of God. Verse 20, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our 
Lord. But this is a startling idea that Paul is introducing. One of, one of God's purposes for the law, the Ten Commandments and, and, the, and, the, and the law of Moses, one of God's purposes for the law was to increase the amount of law-breaking on the earth. You say, well, that's mean. He wanted to show, all right, if, if, you need to, if you need to have reconciliation with me, you need to have a life of righteousness. And in order to have a life of righteousness, you're going to need to do these things. Let's just start with 10 of them. Ready? Go. And, and immediately, once we have started understanding those commandments and try to live them, we understand we don't have the ability to follow them. And so all through humanity, between Moses and Jesus, God showed people, humanity, look, you can't get right with me by doing good works, by trying to live a sinless life, by obeying these commands. You can't. So I tell you what, I got you. I got you. Let me, let me help you out. I'm, I'm going to send as a free gift my son Jesus, who is going to do that in your place. He's going to do that in your place. So for every disobedience was all the more obviously wrong in our life. The result of that increased awareness of sin was an increase in God's grace to cover more and more sin. That's why his grace is so abundant. If, if the sin of this world is so abundant, Paul is saying, look, his grace is even more. His grace has got to be able to, to take care of all of the sin. And guess what? His grace is more than enough. It's more than enough to, to take care of the sin in your life, in my life. The sin of humanity. He can take care of it. So being made righteous before God is just more about escaping hell. It's living with the benefits of, of being a believer, of walking through this crazy life and everything that life throws at us. We have the benefits of that. And, and we see that by the evidence of his love, by, by dying for us and, and making that first move and, and providing that reconciliation for us. He didn't have to, but he did. And then he shows us through Adam, just like Adam, one man caused a whole domino effect of sin in our life. Well, if one man can do that, guess what? One man can also reverse it. And that's what Jesus did. You and I, we get a do-over. We get a do-over in our life. And we had to come to the point to where we trust in Jesus to provide that do-over. 
to make us right with God. We can't do it on our own. We need Jesus. There are people in this world that don't have hope. They're trying to find hope in many places. They're trying to find peace in many places, and they're just not finding it. You know why? They don't have Jesus. Will you choose Jesus today? Will you accept him today? Every head bowed, every eye closed. As we close out this service, whether you're here live or watching online, I I do want to make sure you understand this. God loves you more than you can ever fathom. And God has a plan for you. God wants to do great things in your life. He really, really does. God has proven that with his son Jesus. God longs to be reconciled to you. He does. And the way to do that is through Jesus. Will you accept him today? All it takes is for you to say a prayer or something like, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for trying to live life on my own. I'm sorry for trying to be a good person. Because I'm not really good at that. (laughs) I surrender the white flag. I surrender to your grace. I need your grace in my life. I need you to come into my life. And I need you to save me. I believe you died for me. And I believe that you love me. I accept you as Lord and Savior. Please come into my life. Be Lord of my life. And help me to be right with God. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you're here today or or watching online, either whether you're live or watching it later on, we want to make sure we, we know about your decision. And so you can see me today after service, or you can send me an email to pastor at lakepointonline.com or, or frank at lakepointonline.com, either one of those. I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to get you some material on how to start your journey. Um, but just know this. <laughs> Jesus already made the first move. He did. He's waiting for you. And if you have already made that, that counter move, he's ready He's ready to begin that journey with you. You're not alone, and we're here with you as well. I hope you come back next week as we're gonna be in Romans chapter six and seven. It's gonna be an awesome uh, time together, and uh, just know this, we love you, we're praying for you, God loves you, we'll see you back next week.